Welcome back to The Handmaid's Takes, a proud member of the Smug Buds family of podcasts. I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined by my co-host, Liz. Hi, Liz. Hey, Will. How are you? Uh, Better than you, apparently. (laughs) We were recording this last minute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It is Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. We were going to record this yesterday on Mm -hmm. Saturday the 1st, and then I found out that you were sick, and you were coughing, and had a bad throat. You couldn't talk, but you're better today. Yeah, and I would have... I The other thing, too, is I was like, man, I really would just power through recording, except I will not put Will through having to edit out. (laughs) all of my hacking sure um but yeah if i had just been like really tired or something like that i would have been like we can do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so this is sort of uh, an impromptu uh make good uh if you will i was totally prepared to postpone it for a week cover three episodes you know rearrange the Mm -hmm. schedule but uh, we're, uh, we'll do it live as, uh, as Bill <laughs> O'Reilly, uh, famously said, and he said some other stuff too, that I won't repeat, uh, at this, uh, juncture. Um, so, uh, now is the time when I might ask about old business. Mm-hmm. As I said last time, this is not an episode of the Smug Buds. Doesn't make any <laughs> sense to do any old business from the Smug Buds. Uh, but if we did... Uh, I might bring up, uh, some Marvel, uh, junk. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, uh, haven't talked about Secret Wars since, oh, right. uh, July when I did my comic books episode of the Smug Buds. Mm-hmm. And I made a reference to Secret Wars and I said something along the lines of, you know, oh, some people are speculating that doing secret wars in the mcu is like the next very big event that all this multiverse stuff is uh leading up to and then i think it was a matter of days after uh we recorded that episode Mm -hmm. that uh the uh, big marvel uh comic-con presentation (laughs) happened yeah it was like it was so immediate and i was so smug (laughs) and and they and they revealed as everyone knows by now this is quite old news by now in October (laughs) that uh, the next uh, two Avengers movies are going to close out phase six, if I remember correctly. Uh, One called the Kang Dynasty and the other called Secret Wars. And I guess they are probably a year apart the way that Infinity War and Endgame were. So uh, it's pretty clear that they are uh, not so suddenly doing another two-part story, mm-hmm. but uh, not calling it part one and part two uh, because uh, people uh, people people don't people <laughs> people have not uh, liked that uh, when yeah. other franchises have done that. So uh, yep. Uh, uh, the smug buds uh, have done it again. Uh, <laughs> set it, set it up, knocked it down, called it, and uh, it's not a huge surprise, but it is satisfying. Very satisfying. 
Also, last time we spoke and I talked about uh, how uh, peak TV has really uh, overwhelmed me uh, recently. Yeah. Uh, I failed to mention that one of the shows that we're watching is uh, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. I just Right. Um, I'm so behind on all the, the Disney stuff right now. Um, I will. Uh, She-Hulk uh, season is not over, but I will tell you, uh, we've really been enjoying it. Uh, it is quite funny, uh, and uh, it has a much more episodic format mm, right. than the yes. other shows, which is something that I have been looking for, mm-hmm. something that I expected, especially from the, the Loki show, and then that, that was not what that turned out to be, <laughs> which is fine. I also like- Because it was still really good. I yeah. like what it turned out to be as well, and I'm looking forward to- Loki season two, but She-Hulk Attorney at Law has this, like, the way that WandaVision had this, like, you know, uh, synergy of form and function Mm -hmm. of, like, okay, the premise is going to dictate, like, the way that this thing is formatted. Um, She-Hulk has that uh, going for it uh, in a a way that I, I look forward to discussing with you when you have had a chance to watch it. What else? Anything else? Oh, I just want to give a shout out um, to uh, my friend Elise Snore, who I've mentioned many times on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that she's been listening to our Handmaid's takes, or at least the one one of them, the first episode. Thank you. I guess we had multiple takes, um, but one episode. That's right. Um, but I wanted to give a shout out to her book on um, Goldeneye 64. Um, which I'm actually not totally sure the actual name of the game. I keep calling it GoldenEye 64. Yeah, it's just GoldenEye, if I remember correctly. But okay. it's for the Nintendo 64, so. Yes. Um, but it's it's a thick boy. Mm. It's 223 pages, mm. and I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. Um, and she interviewed a bunch of the creators and the developers, and, um, you know, she's just a really good writer, and... Um, but also, like, it's also a really interesting story. Like, I knew – something I knew going into this book was that um, the multiplayer, which is sort of, like, what a lot of people think of as, like, the keystone feature of that game, mm-hmm. um, was added sort of last minute by, mm-hmm. like, one guy. And I just got to that, and I'm, like, two-thirds of the way through. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much more to tell. The fact that this game exists is very strange. The way it exists is very strange. Um, so yeah, I feel really honored that this game now has this sort of definitive history and it was written by my friend Elise and I wanted to recommend it all to everyone that listens. Yeah, that's really neat. And I'm looking forward to reading that myself. Sounds great. Uh, great shout out. And, uh, does that bring us to the topic at hand? I think it does. So, uh, it's been two weeks and there's been two more episodes, episodes three and four, of the Handmaid's Tale season. I almost said takes there. Could you tell? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Handmaid's tale. tale season five. Uh, so I uh, don't know how we're going to go through this. You probably have some notes. Sure do. And I don't. So th- this <laughs> this format is being put to the test now. Because last time when we talked about episodes one and two... We had two episodes which premiered at the same time. Mm-hmm. We were able, able to watch them back to back and then talk about them. Now the test is, 
episode three was a week and a half ago when I when I watched it. Mm-hmm. And episode four a few days ago. So and yeah. I didn't take notes and one of these is much fresher in my mind <laughs> than the other one. Uh so uh using your notes and my dubious recall mm-hmm. uh what happened in episode three. So at the beginning, um we get um uh June. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great, we're starting strong. Yeah. June is like um freaking out about Serena, obviously, because we ended with the So so let's let's start here just for a moment. The 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 way that season three uh, so the way that episode three starts, mm-hmm. immediately it has to answer a question which was lingering in my mind, which mm-hmm. is are they going to keep repeating? So episodes one and two started the same way, right? With the same yeah. needle drop. Yes. So this first scene has to answer the question, okay, is, are they going to keep doing that or was that just a two-episode trick? And the answer is it was just a two-episode trick. They're not Thank co- God. They're not continuing to do it. Uh, but I am, I am listening for it and I'm waiting to see if it will happen again. And I actually think that they're – I know I'm skipping ahead slightly. I forget. I think there – I think I wrote this for both episode three and four – I don't think there were any needle drops. There was. Uh, there was in four, maybe? I think there was. there in three? I don't think that uh, there was none in three that I can recall. Okay. There was one in four that I think is kind of egregious. You're right. There was one in four. I don't remember what it was. But yeah, there were no needle drops in three, which I thought was, I sort of felt like they were like, we overdid it. And the other. <laughs> Let's pull back. And speaking of pulling back after overdoing, the other thing that we're tracking is. I think that still there's been no voiceover. Correct me. Yes, if still you, no voiceover. Yeah, there's been in a show that was basically built on voiceover because it was uh, doing the TV version of mm-hmm. the first person narration of the book it's adapting. Uh, that's completely gone. It has been for four episodes. But don't worry, Will. Mm. We still get some real close shots. Oh, yeah. Of June's face, which I wanted to tell you, this is skipping ahead very slightly, but Kenny was with me when I was watching episode four, but not really watching. And the episode ended and he goes, why do they always zoom in on her face? And I just started laughing so hard. Mm-hmm. I was like, he was like, what? It's a real question. I was like, no, Ke- Kenny, you don't understand. This is like a, a known hated trope. Well, welcome to the party, <laughs> motif. Kenny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, so yeah, she's how freak- does it she's- actually start? So she's freaking out. She's in her kitchen or whatever, her too big kitchen. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, I want to shoot her in the face. I forget exactly what she says. And um, she's like, and and uh, what's her face comes in. Um, Moira? Who, Moira comes in. And she's like, okay, wasn't going to tell you about this. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, there... yeah. So, so here's, here's what actually the, the problem is. And I teased this in the last episode because they teased it as well in the teaser yeah. for episode three. What June is so concerned about is that having seen Hannah in the live funeral broadcast, she doesn't know the meaning of the color purple that mm-hmm. Hannah was wearing, which mm-hmm. you brought up last time how you thought the costume design for the funeral was so interesting because it had to incorporate all the colors that everyone is supposed to wear for their roles, but also 
be different so that it's appropriate for a funeral. Yes. And I think that they successfully accomplished that. But also, in hindsight, the real reason why they had to do it was a plot reason, not an aesthetic reason. Mm-hmm. Like, they said, they, they wrote this, oh, June, ha- June has something to worry about because of this color purple that she's wearing. Well, if Hannah's wearing that color purple, then everyone has to wear their colors, even though they're going to a funeral. So tell mm-hmm. the costume designers, you cannot dress all the cast in black for the funeral. You have to dress them in funeral clothes that are the significant thematic colors. Yes. And I think it's also funny because in terms of all the colors, because at one point they're talking about like what kind of purple it is. Like Myra, I think it's Moira says something like, I don't know, it was like a fucking plum. Mm. (laughs) Because like June's just like, she's like, you know, her head's bowed. And she's like, what was that color? What was that color? Like she keeps saying that. And at one point, yeah. And then Moira is like, it was like a plum. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I don't think, I think we can just say it was purple. Nobody else is wearing purple. So they're in this discussion. They, you know, someone says, you know, if Nick would know, if only we could talk to Nick. Uh huh. And then the, that was June. That was very much June because Nick's or uh, not Nick. Um, Luke's like. <laughs> and Moira is, says, "Well, you don't know this, but there is a group at the border, and I think that the." group at the border could get a call through to a commander such as Nick. And um, June is furious because she's like, why didn't you tell me about this? And Moira's like, because you're insane. And then June says, you like basically says like, well, you don't get to decide that meaning like that if I do or do not contact these people. And I was like, yeah, I think it's reasonable that Moira didn't tell you about this. (laughs) Well, yeah, and and I I saw that interaction and I thought, okay, this is they handled this capably. Yeah. But there there's something else going on just under the surface of mm. this which is they they they're really writing that dialogue because they're really answering the question why did we, the writers, just decide that this exists? Yes, like, exactly. We just came up with this. If this has existed already, why why hasn't it come up yet? Well, and the other thing, too, is that then they sort of double down on that more if we skip ahead a little bit to when they get there, when they start calling it May Day. Right. Which, of course, May Day is um, what it was called in the book. The sort of resistance movement in the book was called May Day. Yeah. Um, and it comes up very briefly in the, I mean, not very briefly, it comes up sort of briefly, but everyone's like, you know, June's like, (gasps) you know, everyone's like aghast that May Day actually exists. And, and the, the woman, the, the, who was a, oh, which side note, Asian Martha, Mm. um, which I always think is important to point out when they do things with race that you aren't expecting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the woman that's sort of like they're contact that they're hanging out with is a, was a former Martha who just got out and she says something like she not only well, just got out but she got out in the prisoner yes. transfer that June arranged in order to kill Fred yes <laughs> and so she's very new onto the side of the border but she was doing this work on the other side and had lost 
she actually seemed at one point almost annoyed that she got out, like she had mm-hmm. lost some of her contacts. Mm-hmm. Um, but she even says something like, you know, we're calling it, she sort of implies like, well, we're calling it May Day, but like, we, we're not totally organized. Like, that's the whole point. If we were organized, it would be able to be shut down. It's just these sort of like loose links between people, like a whisper network almost. There there was something that um, uh, uh, was said in this scene that I didn't quite understand. And I want you to tell me uh-huh. if you have a different memory of it. Um, I don't remember exactly what that uh, refugee Martha, Mayday Martha said. But something she said made me think that what she meant was... We call ourselves Mayday because you called it Mayday. Oh, huh. Like, something that she said made me think like, oh, I think what what they're saying is that Mayday as an organization only exists because June started rumors about it. or, Or if not started them, then popularized it or 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 something like that did you understand that or i didn't pick up on that but that oh that makes sense to me um because obviously i don't have a perfect memory for the whole show i don't even have a very good memory for the latest episode from a few days ago (laughs) but um uh though in in my memory mayday in the show is a concept that was like mumbled about in Gilead, mm-hmm. meaning mostly for the first three seasons, yeah. And since the since June and most of the show moved to Canada last season, it hasn't really been a a subject of anyone's uh, interest. Yeah, I feel like May Day was coming up hottest when they were getting that angel plane out, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I feel like right now it's like just as ambiguous as they're making it out to be also for the writers mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. um i also as a note i think this is only sort of tangentially related when that woman meets june she says i thought you'd be taller yeah <laughs> um which i think is funny because i also assume people are certain heights uh based on no no truth well i think except weird, my own emotions i think i thought that the weird bit of that was doesn't june respond like doesn't she say i get that a lot or uh-huh. something like that uh-huh that didn't ring true to me <laughs> i didn't understand why she would say that <laughs> yeah um, um go go ahead no so okay so moira makes the connection between june and mayday at the border at the border, uh, they uh, put in the request for the call, and it's going mm-hmm. to take some time, but not more than a day. So they just kind of hang around and learn what's going on there. They, like, do some sewing. They The, the May Day at the border, they fly the American flag upside down. Uh, they, I missed that. <laughs> they have, That's really funny. Yeah, I thought it was a little strange. <laughs> Uh, they have a wall of uh, people they've rescued and they have a mm-hmm. wall of more people who they've lost. Mm-hmm. And I think about the only other thing I remember happening prior to the phone call is there's a kind of, oh no, strangers are approaching. There's a, a confrontation 
where mm-hmm. like guns are pointed and then some guy runs up and he's like they're with me you know me uh yes and and everything is fine and and no one is hurt but then the guy who i guess is a he's a he's a spy he's he might be an eye or maybe just like a bodyguard or something yeah he's some sort of like foot soldier he's a security like. guy he's he's a guy with a radio that go, only goes yeah. uh he's one of those guys um as soon as he's like resolved the situation he's gone mm-hmm. he's ready he's ready to leave and go back and the and this and the reason for that is so that june can have a moment with him where she goes like wait you're going back in and he's like yeah i got a family back there i I, who would leave their family behind in that place, right? Goodbye. Well, and I, I wrote for that, I love moments when June realizes other humans exist. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Where she's like, it's not just that she's like realizing that like, it's not just like, oh, who, him saying like, oh, who would leave their family? It's like her realizing like, oh, other people care about other people. Like. <laughs> but it without knowing where the rest of the season is going, but also having seen the preview for episode five and getting a mm-hmm. glimpse of what's going to happen next, it seems like they are working. The The reason that they're including these things is to establish in the viewer's mind and in June's mind, hey, you may not have thought of this, but there is such a thing as going back and forth in, yeah. in between uh, Gilead and Canada. I'm not totally clear on what the what the borders are, knowing that there's a Canada and something of what's left of the United States of America in addition to Gilead. I actually was looking at a map. Okay. Um, because let me see. Is this the end of season? I'm trying or not season. I'm trying to see. But my my point being that when the, in in this episode when they talk about the border, the episode by the way is called Border. Right. I'm assuming, although I think it's sort of unclear, I'm assuming that the border that they're speaking of is Canada to the north and Gilead to the south. So I remember why I looked this up. Can we can we skip ahead to how the episode ends yeah. and then go back and talk about what did you say no or yeah? I said yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought you were just like Absolutely no and not. I was like no. So it it we'll we'll get to why Serena's coming back shortly, but mm-hmm. um we she gets on the phone with Nick and Nick tells her that she's going to the wives college. Sure. Or whatever it's called. <laughs> the wives school. I don't school. think the word college <laughs> is used, but yeah, sure. I don't know why I called it college. Basically, she's in training to be a wife, which yeah. Which June is horrified by, but I actually don't think is that bad. <laughs> it, it, I think it's, I mean, within the realm of the show, seems fine. It's not the reveal that they set it up to be. Yeah. It's it's like, if you asked me to guess what that color purple meant, what, what else could it mean? That's like, that's the only I know, thing I could think of. I know Sarah specifically thought it meant that she was now menstruating. Mm-hmm. 
Um, then that might which, be implied by what they're saying. Which might be implied or, or might be in tandem, but she thought it was very specifically like she is considered fertile now. And, it, and it's not even like that, I think, is sort of a horrifying thing. Like if I suddenly had to wear a different color when I was bleeding as a child, that sucks. Um, but like, it's not even that. It's just like, oh, she's going to a different. Sc- and even Nick is like, yeah, she's just going to a different school. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't so, okay. have the significance that they set it up to, ma- they made me think it would have. Yes. Um, by introducing so this is where the question and making the question I, seem so important. I looked at a map because we then fi- she then finds out that Serena's coming back and she's like, what? So I actually looked at a map and it is actually just maybe like a 45 or hour jaunt from the border between New York and Canada and then like Toronto. Okay. Which I bring up because when Serena comes back, June shows up at Serena's car, and I was like, how did she get back there so fast? (laughs) But then I actually looked at a map, and I was like, oh, this this is actually quite reasonable. It would be like an hour. So if she had a car. Are you making a point about how close Toronto is to the the border? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yes, because, because I was also like, what borders are they exactly talking about? Like mm-hmm. where? And we know that they're in Toronto. And I don't think I ever realized how close Toronto is to New York. Gotcha. Um, it is really quite right there. Mm-hmm. Like if you lived in New York you, and you had a passport, you could easily take a day trip into Toronto and come back. Yes. Um, which I did not know. I'm familiar with this. <laughs> um, Being from but, New York. Be- but because of this also, um, it makes a lot of sense for how June could very easily get to the border like them talking about her going to the border sounds like this sort of big scary thing like you know they're going to the border it's a no man's land it's like 45 minutes away no but here's the thing i i I think you you brought up something that just makes this more confusing (laughs) which is that there is a place called no man's land yes like what but where but is is that on the border or is that distinct it's only a portion of the border is it removed from the border it's some kind of disputed territory i wonder if it's like somehow like sort of deeper into new york but not exactly canada anymore it's definitely not canada or else the queen would have a quarrel (laughs) with you the crown i'm sorry not the crown i'm I'm sorry not the the queen the crown do you think Queen Elizabeth has died in The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Th- I mean, that's a fascinating question. I, <laughs> we know that there's Fortnite. <laughs> we know that there's Fortnite. Uh, a new Fortnite as of last season. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I think maybe it's it's still a couple of years away. Yeah. Um, oh, mm. which also we get in this episode that she's 12. Hannah is 12. Hannah is 12. So it has been five or six years since the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. Or at least since she was kidnapped. That's how long. Because we were talking about this. So that's how that's how long it is. And I agree. I think she looks older than 12. But I think she also could just be a big looking 12 year old. Those, There's occasionally 12 yeah. year olds that just look big. Those exist. Certainly. Yeah. Um. But okay. So then. Somebody, <laughs> somebody, finish- somebody should have said to Hannah. <laughs> You're taller than I thought you'd be. Yes, the exactly. reverse of her mother. Like, oh, you're catching up to Serena, who's like, must she must be so tall? Yeah, see, I mean, seems imposing, certainly. 
She definitely is very tall when she's standing next to June, who looks like a little gremlin. So speaking of Serena. Yeah. Uh, yes, June is a goblin, and June goes <laughs> goblin mode very much at the end of this episode. But but before we can talk about that. Oh, yes. June and before June and Serena can meet up at the end. Uh, Serena has a subplot. Which yes, is, let's talk about Serena. So Serena's idea of what's going to happen next for her is that she's an unmarried woman. She's a, mm-hmm. she's a widow. And Bradley Whitford is a widower. Mm-hmm. And it would be to the advantage of both of them to marry each other. Yes. And also, sorry, let's like even go back further than this. They have a dinner. Yes. Where Nick is with his wife who's na- – I'm very interested in Nick's wife. Uh-huh. Her name's Rosie. Mm-hmm. So she walks in with her cane um, and seems really lovely. And we also get m- more of a sense that she is like a very – like I just – I'm so interested in her because she seems so affable and like so reasonable. <laughs> so the dinner is attended by those two you just mentioned – Serena, uh-huh. it's hosted by Bradley Whitford, and then two other characters who are supposed to be of some significance, but I could not tell you their names or anything about them. It is another commander and his wife. Oh, do you do you remember who they are? Oh, that's right. They are Hannah's family, right? They're Hannah's family. Right. And we have never seen the commander before, but we have seen his wife. Got it. Okay. And I deadass thought that that was Joel Edgerton. Yeah. Which I sent you a photo of um, and looked it up and it's not. It's some other guy. <laughs> totally justifiable. Yeah. So that's right. It's it's Hannah's uh, family or uh, Agnes's family as, as they yeah. call her. So uh, thank you for reminding me of that fact. Uh, there's an interaction between that commander and Nick mm-hmm. where we learn, if I remember correctly, Nick's wife is the daughter of some like high up Supreme commander. Yeah. And Agnes's commander father is implying that Nick married this woman for political gain. Yeah. So, that's just like a seed that they planted in the interactions between these characters that we're supposed to be intrigued by, I suppose. There's also a moment when they're eating dinner where, um, once again, he's like, uh, Lawrence is like, yeah, I don't plan on getting married. And this commander, um, Agnes's dad, is like, oh, come on now. A single man has no place in leadership, which is one of those funny moments where I'm like, Hey guys, you made these rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the patriarchy hurts everyone. Like you set yourself up for this fucked up situation where you're going to have to get married to someone like I don't know what to tell you. Sucks suck. <laughs> yeah. Uh later Serena and uh Lawrence have a conversation about his dead wife where Serena's saying um I admired your wife, whatever her name was, and Lawrence yeah. is like, she she didn't like you. Yeah, I, he says, I can't say she felt the same. Sorry to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they, uh, Serena is, you know, clearly 
driving at uh, how advantageous their their union would be. Getting back to the dinner, though, there is a moment where Commander What's His Name uh, says uh, June is a cancer mm-hmm. and she needs to be cut out. And I didn't know what astrology joke to make there, but it, as soon as he said <laughs> June is a cancer, I I saw the opportunity. I thought, oh, no, actually, she's a Capricorn or something like that. <laughs> that's just what I think of because that's my sign. <laughs> Um, yeah, and also at the dinner, it's like, why are they having this dinner, is my question. Do you know what I mean? Like, why are they having this, like, weird dinner? I mean, it's clearly to further the plot, but, like, it doesn't seem like anybody actually wants to be there. I actually thought that it was at the commander, the Hannah's family's house. I... Because I thought that Nick sort of had wheedled his way in there to try to see Hannah. Oh, maybe. I, I, If I remember the staging correctly, Lawrence is at the head of the table. Mm. And so I just assumed it was his uh, house and he was hosting. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it just seems like a, like, well, Serena's in town. <laughs> might she, as well have She's got to have dinner. We mm-hmm. might as well have a dinner for everyone who has like a personal interest in june osborne and just kind of debrief on like uh you know how she needs to be dealt with or how she can't be ignored or something also um where is tuello this whole time will he's in the gazebo (laughs) they made him stay outside Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. also it's like winter yes yeah they talked about it's cold yep they discussed that (laughs) and tuello Wants to talk with Lawrence, and Lawrence uh, brushes him off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think anything really comes of that. <laughs> but Tuello no, but- does have an opportunity to talk to Nick and get in his ear yeah. and be like, are you going to spy for me? And <laughs> Nick is kind of like, ah, st- st- Not yet. still no. Um, but that door is still open, obviously. And also then he gets yelled. Yeah, when he- whenever the guy yells at him, about how he thinks that he just married Rosie for power or whatever. He also yells at him for, like, leaving his wife alone. Yes. <laughs> so, he rude to his wife. That was so dumb. Uh, so all of this culminates in Serena gets the message. Uh, you're being brought before the council of men who cut off your finger. Or- oh, wait, wait. Before that, yeah. she, like, puts Lawrence's hand on her tummy, her pregnant tummy. True. And is like, hey, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Look, look at us. We could be married. And he's like, I don't know about this. Yeah, no, he's he's clearly not vibing with it. He's interested. And in... she's like, she's like, oh, he's definitely vibing with it. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she she's she doesn't know that she's going to be thwarted. Um, it's not until after she goes uh, before the council that she has a real moment with Mark Tuello, right? Or is the, does that come before? The moment with Mark, the weird moment with Mark Tuello, I think that's in the next episode. Is that? No. Well, not how I remember it, but maybe. Anyway, Serena has to. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yes. I just wrote, ooh, Serena, no, what is happening? Yes, that was before the council. Okay, yeah. So, So Serena and Mark are having their moment when they are interrupted by an out of focus in the background messenger boy. Who I thought uh, 
reminded me of the actor Joseph Cross, but there was no way to get a good look at his face. And I was like, well, uh-huh. that I don't think that would make sense, but that's the vibe that I got. And um, I'm always looking for that actor because of a personal connection. Um, I went to high school with his brother. Um, oh. Uh, so uh, the, the, the moment that they're having is sort of, I, you know, I'm I'm going to be saying goodbye to you, but uh, they are uh, acknowledging without fully acting on it the attraction that they both have to each other. Which is so weird, and I did not pick up on this before now, and just kept going, "What is happening?" Uh, here's the thing: I my reading of this is they are paying off what they set up when Mark was first introduced, Mm -hmm. but has not been sustained since then. Mm. I, I, the way I remember it is when they, when Serena and thus we, the audience first meet Mark Tuello, it it is the, the setup feels like, well, this could be an escape for Serena from Gilead and from Fred. If Mm. she, if she wanted it, and it's made all the more tempting by the fact that there seems to be sexual chemistry between okay. him and her. But then ever since she she and Fred were arrested and mm. Mark Tuella basically became like her captor. Yeah. <laughs> we did not have a Beauty and the Beast situation going that on. Sex- he did not give her a library. That sexual tension has been really buried in my opinion. <laughs> And they did not dig it up until this one scene. And even if he had given her a library, it's not like she would have read any of those books. You really, yes, you, as you love to remind us, which is good. <laughs> uh, so uh, the the little uh, uh, messenger boy says, uh, "Come before the council," and she does. And before the council announces its decision, uh, Dana said, "Are they going to make her a handmaid?" And, That's what Kenny said. Uh huh. And 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 I said, no. They've they've threatened the, they've threatened the audience with that in the past, and so they just wouldn't do it. It also wouldn't make sense to make her a handmaid while she's still pregnant. I would argue, but right. and I said before it was announced, I said they're going to send her away. I I know f- just from what little I know of what's going to happen this season, mm-hmm. she's going to end up back in Canada. And it's clear that they don't want her around. And so I said, they'll probably make her an ambassador or something to get her out of their hair. And then that is exactly uh, what they do and what they announce to her. And she's obviously not happy, but she does her sur- political... Uh, Kareny Serena thing by saying, uh, I accept you will have to give me a staff and a salary a and yeah. free reign to, you know, an office, whatever she asks for. And they grant it to her. And so she leaves uh, thwarted, but pivoting to a different kind of victory. So I knew that. Uh, so when they were in Gilead, 
I was thinking, I feel like Will said that she's definitely going to be in Canada for a lot of this season. So I had that in my mind. And so as soon as they got to the council, I was like, oh, that's what's going to happen here. But I wanted to point out a little um, logistical thing. Mm -hmm. This is the sort of thing that I noticed that um, I feel like you sometimes find funny when I point it out, which is that um, she's talking to Lawrence out in the lobby. (laughs) And... He's like, did you expect something of me? And she's like, what? And then, like, she's, like, about to go in to talk to the council. So she goes in to talk to the council, and Lawrence is already sitting there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, he got there fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was, like, with her. And then I guess, like, went around. I'm assuming, it's like an auditorium. So I assume that he, like, went around really quick. He just was like. Trot, 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 yep. and like got in a seat before she showed up. She, uh, she, it doesn't make any sense. She might have really taken her time more more, <laughs> more than we were allowed to see because of the magic of editing. Uh, but, th- but that's a good point. But yeah, so then when they went back, and of course, Tuello's like, they told us to hold the plane, and she's just like, grump, 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 grump. So uh, she has to go back, and it is clear... Uh, or we can infer that when she arranged the funeral to be broadcast to the world so that she could flaunt being near Hannah and giving her a little kiss on live television for June to see. She loves to give little kisses because she gave one to Tuello too. When she put that plan into action, she was not thinking, I'll be going back to Canada where June lives. <laughs> But that is what ended up happening, and so the mm-hmm. and so the consequences of that are: uh, as soon as she's back in the country, June goes goblin mode, <laughs> um, blocks her her car, so that June can appear like a killer in a horror movie, like giving a jump scare to Serena and to the audience. And say through the car window, uh, never touch my daughter again. Do not touch my daughter. Never touch my daughter again. And that and ah, ah, ah. And that's the dramatic finale of the episode. An episode which I watched and my overall reaction to it was, this makes me feel like I am going to regret planning to do <laughs> bi-weekly recap episodes of this show because not a lot happened in this episode and it was mostly pretty boring. Oh, I have a, we haven't even talked about Lydia yet. That's right. Yes. I, I, I forgot there is a C plot in this episode, which is the, uh, Lydia Janine parentheses, also Esther, uh, development. So I just want to say that, you know how we have, you know, what does the show love? The show loves Serena by a window. The show loves uh, June's face. And the show also loves Lydia in a hallway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we got Lydia in a hallway. She, like, goes in to see Janine, who she's got her, like, fucked up attachment to, and slaps her. No, no. And she then she slaps is like, Esther. Oh, she slaps Esther. Janine Sorry. is the Cyclops. Right. No, no. I know who they are. I just forgot who she slapped. No, she's no, she's angry. Yeah, she's angry at Esther because Esther did the poisoning. But like hilarious that she thinks that like it just shows how like flawed her entire thought process is. I mean, clearly we know violence is not an answer 
a lot of the time. But, like, the fact that she thinks that slapping a passed out little lady is gonna do anything. It's a brutal moment, and it's brutal on purpose, and it's and it's messed up because Liddy is messed up, and that's by design. But I yeah. think also what is not by design is that it feels a little bit silly. Yes, it's so silly. Right. It's like, girl, you know she's asleep. What do you think this is going to do? She insists on having, um, oh, what is that other family that has Janine's daughter's name? Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm not going to remember it right now, but. But that wife, that woman who I referred to as Frigid. Right. Shows up with um, her daughter, mm-hmm. Angela. And because they're hoping that she, and she, Lydia's like, thank you so much for coming. And she's like, I didn't really have a choice. I thought that was odd. I didn't understand what was meant by that. Um. Oh, that like I didn't really have a choice. Yeah. Oh, I think that probably like her commander or some somebody made her come with the daughter. Yeah, that just wasn't clear to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my um, my thought was like, well, what you don't answer to Aunt Lydia, do you? I don't. If you do, I don't understand the chain of command. <laughs> I think it was more so to. I think that I, I see your point, but I think that that was more so to let us know that she didn't wasn't coming there like super enthusiastically. Yeah, um, still, I don't understand the point of that. <laughs> It's such and, a small, short scene. But also, like, I just want to say that, like, in general, like, if it wasn't a super fucked up situation where this woman had stolen this daughter from Janine, I would think this. Uh, don't make this tiny child see a woman in the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Yeah. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. It's confusing. It's scary why would you make a tiny child who is big enough to remember things like this see this like scary woman that's in the hospital do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so i just thought that it was like a weird choice overall like it was like a weird choice like from the show but it was also a weird choice just like in general parenting that's definitely weird i agree with you i think the weirdest element uh going on here and it was already going on previously in episode two when that wife got a chance to interact with Janine. Yeah. The, the weirdest thing is that all seems to be forgiven be- yes. between them. Not, which is like, it, no. It feels totally unearned and uh, too convenient. And I feel like Janine is probably just like being very nice as a way to like, have any access to her daughter so that like when she is conveniently in the same house as her it's not weird that she gets to say hi quickly yep. um but yeah from the wife perspective it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. especially because like her husband is missing a finger because of janine so to speak mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but yeah i think that was oh and then janine is awake at the end of the episode that's right that's right yeah they did they don't get a chance to interact in this episode but we see Lydia, wake up. Janine is not in bed anymore. Which, how did she sleep through that? She's, she's, an, old, she's an older woman. She needs a rest. She's, she's like asleep in a chair. She had a long and day wakes slapping up and is like, unconscious Janine's bodies. Gone. <laughs> it's like, how did she sleep through that? It's so stupid. It's like, I can suspend my disbelief only so far. Yes. And this is the thing that I'm going to get hung up well, on. Well, it's important that she see Janine up and... 
walking with help only from a distance and that she she doesn't see the moment when Janine wakes up and is able to get out of bed uh, because then it wouldn't be a reveal uh, to the audience. Um, I think we can move on from this episode and before... I think that covers it, yeah. Before we start our discussion of episode four, I will very briefly tell you that the inside the episode feature for episode three... Uh, doesn't have any gold nuggets that I am looking for when I watch those. But my, what I have to say about it is that this one in particular is weirdly focused on telling the audience how much fun uh, everyone has making this show <laughs> and how that is a sort of helpful and necessary counterbalance to <laughs> the subject matter of the show they're sort of like well if this was miserable to make then we might be psychologically scarring people uh but um oh my god but the set is so light and fun and everybody like is friendly and loves each other and it's a joy to make which which helps us you know deal with the very heavy material I'm totally paraphrasing. There was definitely not any reference to psychologically scarring anyone or that possibility. <laughs> yeah, sure. But that, um, it's, yeah, just a weird way to talk about the behind the scenes of the show. That can, it feels like, it feels like a, uh, me thinks thou protest too much possi- a little mm-hmm, bit. Yep, yeah, possibly so. Yeah. It might be per- perhaps they're trying to get ahead of some, uh, don't worry, darling-esque uh, drama that will <laughs> unfold someday about, you know, how somebody hates somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see that. Uh, I saw the movie Don't Worry, Darling, by the way. I'm so excited to see it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sarah said Sarah said that she didn't think, I haven't seen it yet, but she said that she didn't think it was as bad as everybody else is making it out to be. Mm-hmm. But she said something very interesting, which um, I'm very excited, which she said that she felt like the twist depended on Harry Styles' character being Shia LaBeouf. We talked about this, yeah. I think Um, think the most interesting thing about the movie is- Is imagining Shia LaBeouf. Yes, is the difference between casting those two men in the same part. Yeah. And I, I know Shia LaBeouf is not like a great guy, but I do have this like weird sort of soft spot for him. And I did like his acting, despite the fact that, again, he's not a good guy. Um, so, yeah, I am curious. It is curious for me, especially because he's like so – did you watch Girls? Sorry, this is a tangent. No. Did you watch Girls? No. There's this episode of Girls in the fifth season where um, – this character who had been a boyfriend in the first season and maybe the second season and then just like went away and he was like a really clean cut sort of dude is suddenly back and he's like gruffer and he's got like a beard and um that newscaster's daughter uh is like hey you talk like she says like you talk they like they, she f- finds she like runs into him she doesn't even recognize him at first it had been her boyfriend and she's like you talk different and he's like what do you mean and then the show goes on and it turns out that like he's like doing heroin now and like um he's like a drug dealer and like that's sort of what he's been doing through the whole episode. But he he looks he does physically look and sound completely different. And this is what this is Shia LaBeouf to me. Shia LaBeouf went from being like whole Shia LaBeouf to like this guy and girls Shia LaBeouf. 
And uh, it's very confusing to me. Like, where he does it, like, he, like, talks different. He's got this, like, beard and, like, is, like, scary. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's, he's on another wavelength, certainly. He- so to imagine him being in a show where he would have had to be very clean cut is even in and of itself weird to me. We can talk about it more after you see the movie. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so episode four, how does episode four start? I don't remember. <laughs> what is it called? Oh, I remember. It's called they're- Dear Alfred. I remember that. they they're in therapy. Or are they in therapy? I think so. They're talking to someone. Yeah. I, I, I thought this. I thought, oh, uh, Liz said last time June should be yes. in therapy. And in this episode, it is revealed that she is. But also, it's couples therapy because Luke is also there. That's not how it starts. It starts with her at the playground. Yes. Okay. So this, I, I'm, I'm glad you. So we get our own sort of needle drop repeat here. I don't know what you mean by that. She um, is at the playground. It's not a needle drop, but it's the same sort of mirroring that they did in the first two episodes where she's at the playground and she's with Nicole and this crazy lady comes over and is like, your daughter's so beautiful. And then she's like, Nicole, right? And June acts the way she should in a situation like this in across the board, which is that you just take your child and you do not act weird and you try to exit the situation, right? Because clearly this woman knows who June is. And then she's like, you're June. You know, and she says something. And then, but it's basically, she says like, do not touch my daughter. So you're saying it's mirroring the end of the previous episode. Yes, except it's a different daughter. Right. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, But which is clearly intentional, right? Yeah, Sure. And then she calls it. She's like, you're a whore. You're a slut. And June's like, get the fuck away from me. Compare it. So I, I, I haven't considered the significance of what you're talking about because I have been solely focused on considering a different significance of this scene, mm. which is uh, I, I feel like long overdue they with this scene are finally doing the bare minimum for imagining what it must be like to live in the almost post-apocalyptic uh world of uh low fertility of mm-hmm. so so when when that scene started i was like oh yeah if June took her baby Nicole out to the playground, they might be treated like celebrities. Mm-hmm. One, because June has done some stuff that you know people know about, mm-hmm. and two, just for having a baby out in public. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Dana was was uh, criticizing that scene afterwards, and. Um, Thought it was too strange to to be believed. And Dana said, you know, didn't that woman herself have two sons? And I said, no, that's not what she says. She says, Mm -hmm. both of my pregnancies were boys. Mm -hmm. Comparing it to June having a baby girl. Which Mm -hmm. to me, I think, is implying 
this is the this is the way this woman who has been traumatized by the tragedy of her miscarriages mm-hmm. would talk with a stranger about her miscarriages. Yeah, and also I think that we're also she also would be treated people know what June looks like. Mhm. So it's like it's also as much as it's, you know, if somebody is being creepy to you on the playground and is like, that's Nicole, you're June. Like, yeah, you leave that situation. Um, I also clearly we know that this woman is like a bigger part of the story and has more going on. But like, I don't think it's unreasonable that she would be recognized. Right. No. Yeah, totally. I I think they're they're doing a lot with a little in this scene, mm-hmm. which I actually admire. I think I think the 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 part where i get on this show for not being very good is when i say they should have been doing a lot more of this for a long time mm-hmm. but now that they're finally getting around to it they're they're being clear about what they're trying to do which is essential and which is uh a benefit to to the story mm-hmm. which is they're establishing uh what it would be like for june uh because she has a baby what it would be like for june because she's done some things that have made her semi-famous mm-hmm. what it is like for ordinary people in other parts of the world where the entire world is struggling Mm-hmm. with not being able to have children and continue the human race there they they also establish outside of this scene this scene helps but also in another scene in the phone conversation scene they explicitly say gilead is the only place in the world with a rising birth rate yes and i believe it's serena who says that and i think that we're supposed to take that as fact not mm-hmm. just as propaganda yeah and they're establishing, which they really need to, in order to tell the story that they want to tell this season, they're establishing why why would Gilead have supporters in Canada? And I think that they've they've done it in a way where, okay, they've made this situation seem so extreme that we can swallow that pill, that we we could believe that those people exist. Mm-hmm. Now they've done it, as I said, with the bare minimum. They've done yes. it with one character in one scene. Mm-hmm. But as long as they have to rush to do it because they haven't been doing enough of it up to this point, it serves its purpose and it's successful, in my opinion. I also wanted to bring up that rising birth rate comment because I had a thought in my brain that I wrote down when she said that, which is why aren't they doing IVF? Mm. Um, it's clearly, you know, very expensive, but if this is such a crisis, you know, it's, it's expensive and it's, and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of effort and stuff like that. But if we're truly in such straits where the birth rate is declining in every single country in, in the entire earth, why on earth, why on earth are they not doing something where they're pumping women full of hormones 
like extracting as many eggs as possible and then also putting those eggs maybe even into other women um and just like give you know especially since it seems like a lot of people want babies like they want to be able to be parents so like why aren't they you know it just seems like especially in gilead too like force women to get ivf like why are you forcing this system and i mean this is again one of the big problems i have between and i know i've mentioned this before between the book and the show which is that in the book Part of the implication is that a lot of these wives and commanders are too old. They're too old. Um, and so, you know, part of the reason, part of the implication is, is that part of the reason that the, that the handmaids can't get pregnant is because these dudes are old. Like, you know, they're not creating the same level of fertility that they were when they were younger, which is why June gets pregnant from Nick and not from Fred. And in the show, they've brought down most of the ages of the commanders and the wives. I think that a good example of that not being true is the woman who is um, Angela's mom. I think she seems like um, she's presented to be like maybe a little bit too old, but like Serena obviously did get pregnant. You know what I mean? Like, so again, this is the answer is because then they wouldn't have a show in the same way. I understand that, but it just seems like this sort of obvious solution, like, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of hormones and it's a lot of needles and I don't want to downplay real people that go through IVF, but like, I don't know, it seems like more efficient than just sort of like hoping that ejaculating in a woman every month is going to do it. Yeah, I could, I could imagine, you know, I could whip up some headcanon for why they're not doing that in Gilead for reasons having to do with their extreme uh religious beliefs i could yeah. i could invent some headcanon about like they think that like that level of science is tampering with god's plan and that's why we're in this apocalyptic situation to begin with but as for other parts of the world i don't like canada yeah, I, don't, I don't know i i don't have a headcanon for for that the natural way remember the natural way from season whatever barely <laughs> the natural way was when they were trying to get june they like raped june like held her down raped june yeah to get her to to go into labor oh right yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. and they kept being like it's the natural way yes right yeah so stupid no i do remember that now yeah um that was yeah mainly why season two was so brutal and yes. it was just yeah just about upping the ante of uh yeah. of season one um so serena uh sends an invitation to june's household but it's addressed to offred which is why the episode is called yes. dear offred and it is an invitation to the embassy that serena is setting up in toronto the cultural center the cultural center. That's right. Um, and June uh, has a gun. June has a gun because she buried it in the yard in episode one and she digs it up in episode four. Can I tell you what, what Kenny said? Yeah. Was that just Lucy Goosey in the dirt? Yeah, put it in a fucking box. I hope it hasn't rained, June. Well, it's clearly snowed. And so in addition to being filled with dirt it's presumably like frozen it's like a gun sickle which is why (laughs) 
which is why she can't use it when she when she wants to and yeah. why she has to clean it in a scene that we don't see uh so yeah, so Luke that it later is usable says, like, later she's he says you clean this she says i watched a youtube video i think that part's fine i don't intend to make fun of that part oh i think that's uh, yeah i think that's funny in like a good way yeah, no i think that that scene is pretty well done <laughs> Uh, so June takes the gun sickle at night to the cultural center where Serena is at a window looking down at supporters and June wants to use the gun, but she can't. So all she does is drive menacingly close to the <laughs> crowd, get out of the car and look up at Serena in the window. And they look at each other and that's all that can happen. Yeah. Which is not much, but it's enough. Uh, and uh, then, I mean, can we go right to the photo shoot? Is there anything else that happens before that? <laughs> um, at one point, I think after she gets back from driving past her house, um, she's like gets because she like snuck out mm -hmm, again. Mm -hmm. She gets home. Luke is having a glass of wine. Yeah. And... He's basically like, where were you? Uh -huh. And she's like, I was crazy. And then oh, yeah, he yeah. Says, she, she says, she says, all I can think about is shooting her in the head. And I don't know how to stop myself from doing it. And she says, what if this is who I am now? And I was like, yeah, I think it is who you are now. <laughs> I don't think if it's a what if. I don't think we're in a what if situation right now, June. Okay, so I guess... Bef I guess before the photo shoot is Luke going to see Serena? Is that the order of things? Um, because the photo shoot culminates in the gun being fired, and I think that's not until towards the end of the episode. So Luke going? Yeah, I think that Luke goes before the photo. So shoot. the conversations yeah. that are happening between Luke and June are June is like. I can't stop thinking about killing her. All I want to do is kill her. Why, you know, should I really stop myself? And Luke's part of the conversation is we can ruin her life without killing her. And I'm going to do it with connections that I have in local government to get the cultural <laughs> like, center shut down with building code violations. He's like, I'm going to do some paperwork. And... You know, I think that this is kind of preposterous on purpose. Yes. And I can't fault them for doing something preposterous when they do it intentionally. Well, yeah, because they're they're basically trying, you know, this is the sort of like the the tension, which I think is good tension, because I think this is tension that exists in real life yes. too, which is um do we go about things through the system that exists right. or are we radically against the system? And June saying we need to be radically against the system. And Luke saying, this is Canada. We can work within the system because the system is fair. And June is saying, how can it be fair if they're letting her be here in this land that's technically Gilead land? Right. Because it's like owned by someone. And So, yeah, all of that is going on. And I think it is, you know... I got I got to give them credit for that you called a good tension. That is a t that yeah. is a tension that I definitely find interesting for our uh real life situation. It it 
all last season we talked about how the show originally came along at purely i think by coincidence mm-hmm. the perfect time when the trump presidency was just starting yes and then they wrote the story of june escaping and moving to canada presumably i think if i understand the timing correctly they couldn't have known when they wrote that that it would air at a time when trump lost re-election yeah. and now this feels to me like it's in direct communication with this real world narrative of the past several years Mm-hmm. Where it's not just a coincidence, it's not something that they had to, pred- it's just like, we all know Trump was president for four years, he lost re-election, he's going to run again, he's still out there, mm-hmm. we, we, it's, it's unfathomable, right? It's, it's irreconcilable with any sense of, you know, justice existing or, you know, good ever triumphing over evil serena's serena's not only still out there but just like assuming new positions of power like you thought that she was reduced you thought that she was brought low she's back and she's better than ever she's pregnant she's gonna have a baby she's she's got she's doing rallies in florida you know whatever Mm -hmm. um she's only gonna rise to more and more power unless Someone kills her. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm talking about the fictional character of Serena Waterford when I say she will only be stopped if someone kills her, like assassinates her, right? (laughs) Because, you know, we already had her in custody and we can get whatever papers from her house that we want. We had, but we, we, we had to... We had to live with her and watch her on our TVs for four years. Yes. And now we are done and she's still around for a fifth yes. year now. So <laughs> it's time to go. <laughs> that was actually, well, we'll get to this in a second, but that was probably the most disappointing thing to me in this episode. That that there's no assassination or, yes. or even an assassination attempt, really. Yeah. Just an opportunity. Um, but that's, yeah, that's. That tension that you call good tension captures a real world phenomenon. I think arguably maybe a little bit too closely to be mm. nuanced, mm-hmm. but I, I guess I'm not getting that story from any place else in a better or a more nuanced way. And so, I mean, I think that it's sort of, I think it's hard I think it's hard to write a story about this when it's still, I mean, I guess this is sort of the thing that happens forever, right? Like this happens forever. Mm-hmm. Um, This line between, you know, you should vote as far as I'm concerned to make sure that we are at least working at a neutral instead of like a deep red place. Mm-hmm. Um, But also we need to radically reimagine the way that we, uh, create structures because the structures themselves are flawed and so it's 
hard, I think, to maybe write a story about that when we don't know how the story ends, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Though, I, or, or rather, like, the story is just going on and on. Right. Yeah, and we talked about this last time. I think that there... Uh, I... I Hey, I'm I I think of myself as being open-minded. I'm open to see whatever comes down the line for this show. I hope I hope it's successful. I I I hope it lands the plane, so to speak. I I mm-hmm. think that they've doomed themselves <laughs> by saying we're going to make a show called The Testaments and we're making yeah. a sequel show. So they're just doomed to mm-hmm. all, you know, 99% of what's going on just has to continue uh, and be continuing when we wrap up this story. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't seem, doesn't seem like um, the ideal circumstances for bringing this to some kind of conclusion, but I'm open to seeing, I, I would love for them to prove me wrong is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's, uh, so, so Luke, Goes to the cultural center, gets yes. a meeting with Serena, says, I have all the building code violations right here. They're going to be shut down. Serena does what she does so well. Serena seems like she is backed into a corner and afraid, but also mm-hmm. at the same time, she masterfully plays like she is confident and the one in the position of power. And she does what she does best. She says some very awful things, mm-hmm. um, things that are so awful that it makes Luke cry. And yeah. he concludes the meeting by saying, well, if I see you again, I'll kill you myself. Goodbye. Yeah. He, yeah. He also says, I think there's two things about this meeting, which is that he has like these papers, which he has like folded in half and it sort of like has like a finger in between and then like is grasping them, which I feel like is an embarrassing way to hold papers. Yeah, Sure. It, like, feels, like, when he goes in there, I feel like it sort of, I felt really, I don't, I felt, like, really, like, embarrassed for him. Like, what he was doing was really embarrassing. Like, it would be one thing if he had just done it, but the fact that he was, like, telling her he was doing it felt embarrassing to me. Um, But it also, he also at one point says, uh, my wife wants to kill you and I think I'm going to let her. I've glossed over uh, something that I think is significant. Which is that oh, yes. as uh, Serena re-enters Canada and says goodbye to Mark, she mm-hmm. also says hello to a new man. Yeah, who is this guy? Ezra Gideon or something is what is Ezra? Ezra. His name is Ezra, and he he just shows up. Well, he's gonna be her right hand man, and he's gonna represent her whole staff basically. Yeah, he, has, he is her. Staff. She has a whole staff, but he's the only one who we're gonna get to know at all. Yeah, and immediately, have you? I, I, I can't remember whether you've watched any of Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. I've watched some. Yeah. yeah. So, do you know the character Mike Ehrman Trout? He's played by Jonathan Banks. No, wait. Who is he? He's the old. He's the He's the really bulldog-looking old guy. Yes. yes. And immediately when we were introduced to this character, Ezra, and the role that he was going to play in Serena's life, I'm like, okay, this guy, uh, he is going to be uh, discount rack Mike Ehrman (laughs) Trout. 
And there was something uh, in particular that he said that is not coming to me. Hopefully you can help me remember it. Uh-huh. Oh, it's it. So it's Serena telling him, you know, June stared at me through a window last night <laughs> from outside. Uh, can't you do something? Mm-hmm. And he says something like, I can't arrest her for driving. What does he say? Yeah. He says something. He says like, he, he says like, well, I can't arrest her for just driving. Like she's on Canadian land. You, unless she crosses. No, but he, he says, says it like, unless- very plainly with a brief line that felt like such a Mike Ehrmantraut line to me <laughs> that it, it's, I, it, I heard in my head, Jonathan Banks saying like, yeah, oh, I can't arrest her for driving. <laughs> Uh, it's very matter of fact, and and it was it was funny to me for that reason. So Ezra is the one, you know, escorting Luke in and out of the meeting with Serena, and uh, now I think we can finally cut to the photo shoot where there's um, not only is there a crowd of Gilead supporters outside, but there's also protesters outside, and they're like, and, and you can hear they're them squabbling. And inside, uh, Serena's having her photos taken. And I think she's talking to Ezra. I assume she's talking to Ezra because he's the only one who's going to have lines. She says, is there no space for natural light? Mm -hmm. And he says, it's not safe for you by the window. That's right. (laughs) And I... (laughs) And isn't that what I said last time? When they took her to a secure location... And she was just hanging out by gigantic windows. I had I had texted Goslings, our Goslings. I had texted both Will and Sarah and said, there's a part in this episode where I feel like the episode is winking directly at Will. <laughs> and so, obviously, I was having those same thoughts. And then it doesn't end there because then Serena says, you remember what she says? No. When she, what, maybe you were already laughing through it and you didn't hear what she <laughs> said in response, but that wasn't what, what made me laugh. Him saying, it's not safe for you next to a window. Uh-huh. What made me laugh is her response is, we'll do three setups here and then we will do one by a window. <laughs> and the way that she calls it three setups, I was like, there's no way this isn't meta. Like... <laughs> They they must they intended for this to be meta. Yeah. They, they, she talks about it the way that like a director of photography would talk about it or something <laughs> like that, you know. And it is in keeping with the character, and it is it, it like they're like it clicked for me this season. Oh, they are writing her to be a Karen. They they write mm-hmm. all of her dialogue so that she's very demanding and specific, and she will. You'd be very exacting about getting her way, but also come on. <laughs> it's yeah. it's um, exactly, you know, talking about lighting setups, natural light through a window. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. And I think it, I think it is uh, a bit of a wink uh, on yes. purpose. So outside June and Luke are there as the protest is blowing up. And there's one guy on the Gilead side who is a little bit too rude. And so June pulls out her gun on him. 
And is like, rah! She fires it up into the air and they, you know, the Gilead supporters disperse. And because a gun was fired, Ezra is going to uh, get Serena out of the building. Mm-hmm. And uh, June and Luke are also running away and they turn a corner. And Luke and June come face to face with Serena and Ezra as Ezra is getting Serena into a car and the gun is not visible, but is tucked into the back of June's pants. As one does with a gun. Yeah. As I've seen many times in movies and TV and uh, June has the opportunity and she doesn't take it and they all get away fine. At this Mm -hmm. moment, I think the thing that is kind of funny is that um, I don't think that Ezra is a very good bodyguard in this moment. <laughs> he doesn't like stand in front of her. He doesn't no. push her. There is like, there is, I mean, you could make a case that it is just the magic of editing and yeah. that they are playing it out this way for the audience. This is how it feels. This it Or that like maybe he doesn't realize she specifically has the gun. It actually happens in a split second, but it's drawn out for the audience. But what it feels like, how how it seems to the audience is that there is a long moment where they linger in this opportunity for June to shoot Serena and Ezra is not doing anything about it. And I was just like, I, as it was happening, I was like, she's not going to do it. I know she's not going to do right. it because of the because it's episode of the show. <laughs> because it's episode four and because I'm a writer and I have two degrees in writing and I get it. Um, but, oh, just shoot her. (laughs) I was like, just do it, you coward! Yeah, and I think that the show, unfortunately, wants... The show, I think, is designed for us to... To have those feelings, um, which I think is a little, um... What's the word for what I'm trying to say? It's, it's not, uh... You know, the show... We talk all the time about how the show is supposed to be very serious and taken very seriously... Yeah. But it's also it's been reduced to the type of show where you're just watching it rooting for one character to kill another character, which feels <laughs> a little bit too um like a different type of entertainment, like a lower type of entertainment than what it aspires to be. Well, so I was thinking about this in regard to Avatar. Um because this is I promise this is relevant. I'm, knowing you, I'm guessing you're talking about The Last Airbender. Absolutely. <laughs> despite Avatar being back in theaters as we speak. Which, as a note, I just want to say that it's so funny to me that they had to re-release the original Avatar. They didn't have to. It was just a savvy business decision. <laughs> well, because what I mean is like, because they were like, people aren't going to remember this movie. <laughs> well, and not only that. <laughs> it was a decade ago. They could watch it on Disney+, Plus, but it's not meant to be watched that way. No, it's not. Uh, it's meant to be watched with 3D glasses on. It makes perfect sense. And good um, for them. But Avatar The Last Airbender, we've been watching with Elliot. It's been a joy. Elliot seems to get it. I mean, maybe not the full depth of it, but seems to get it. Um, but of course, in the first book of Avatar The Last Airbender, um, there's the episode about the Blue Spirit. And it's about, and this happens a couple of times. Um, there's the episode with the Blue Spirit. There's the episode where. Um, it's raining and there's like the big typhoon and um we get a lot of backstory in that episode and there's another episode too that i can't remember where 
Avatar, where Aang and Zuko meet eyes. Mm-hmm. And in the Blue Spirit episode, it's clearly a lot more drawn out because in that episode zuko with his blue spirit mask is saving ang so that the other general doesn't get to have ang and he gets an opportunity to get ang um but in the typhoon episode where it's raining um they see each other and there's a third time too when they see each other and they could go after each other and each of those times zuko doesn't go after ang um and the idea there is that like Zuko has honor beyond just this vengeance which is driving him right this like need to get back his honor from his father and so he makes decisions that keeps his crew safe or that um you know allows him to um respect the people around him and like make sure that the people you know that he can get what he wants in a specific way right and those those are all character building, right? It like makes a lot of sense to see Aang and Zuko come see each other eye to eye and and also for Aang too to like see Zuko eye to eye and just like not I mean Aang's a pacifist, but like the fact that they're just like not completely doing each other out in those moments, right? So to see it the same sort of thing in this show is like so frustrating. Like part of the reason it's like I'm just like, yeah, just kill her is because like I I'm like the show's already chaotic. And this isn't doing any character building. So can we just have the chaos then and like have to deal with the fallout of the chaos? Because that would probably be more interesting. Right. So where it does get interesting is I'm not going to retread the good tension that we already talked about. But just to say that where that really crystallized is after this moment when Luke and June are in the car and they look at the gun and they... You know, talk. They talk about how, you know, there might be a next time, and next time, there might be an assassination, and they're both just going to live in that ambiguity, and it makes them really hot for each other. Yeah, and, hilarious. And Luke's figured out the way that he can have sex with June. I think that this is the show at the height of its powers because of that good tension. That feels very familiar to me, that Mm -hmm. conflict between uh, the system and your rage. (laughs) And uh, all of this to say that that is immediately undercut by, I think, a world record bad needle drop of it's not the chain as you know it by Fleetwood Mac, but it is a cover of the chain, which I would argue is much worse than the original song. Well, the chain is a good song. The chain is a very good song, and the cover version that we hear, I would say, is not very good. Well, but do you know why they oftentimes will use covers of songs in shows? Uh, tell me what you mean. Because they're cheaper. Uh-huh. That's what uh-huh. actually. That was actually what I was thinking. Was I was like, they couldn't actually. They couldn't afford the chain. Yeah, I. I <laughs> yeah, I don't know that for a fact, but that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, I forget who I was hearing explain this. But they were basically saying that, like, when you buy the rights for a song for a show, um, if you buy the original one and it's a really popular song, it's a lot of money. But if you buy the cover, basically, like, you pay the cover artist, but then the cover artist pays a small fee to the original. So it basically becomes a, dare I say, a chain. Mm. 
And so it ends up being, it, it's not just cheaper because it's a cover, it's cheaper because some of that cost is actually offset onto the artist, if I'm remembering correctly, right. though I could be making that up. Yeah. Um, and so they broke the chain by needle dropping a cover <laughs> version, uh, which is not very impressive in my opinion. And while this is happening, uh, June and Luke making love is also intercut with Serena <laughs> taking being taken to a new location because um, we hear after this incident she's homeless we hear mm -hmm. because the building code thing worked at least temporarily yeah. and Ezra's like Ezra says something really weirdly cryptic like sometimes a refuge presents itself or something like that and yeah. we're introduced to the new character that I teased in the previous episode Mm -hmm. That I learned from a deadline story that this actress was going to be introduced. And did you recognize her from the after party, by the way? Yeah, she was Indigo. That's right. She looks totally, and I mean, her. She was really a caricature in the after party. Yeah. But mm -hmm. um, I was. It was one of those moments where I was like acting. Uh -huh. <laughs> Pretty impressive. And uh, so while while this needle drop is still going on, I wanted to point out very silly connection that my mind made um, uh, when they're. Entering the property of the new character, they go through gates with a W on it. Oh, uh-huh. And uh, I was thinking of who, like, what this reveal uh, was going to be and why a W. And just want to connect this to, I had this in my head partly because of last week's episode, where when they go to the border and we're introduced to that environment, one of the first thoughts that I had was, well, maybe this is where I think it was called Radio Free America is being mm. broadcast from. Do you remember when June turns on the car, listens to the yeah. radio, and it's Oprah Winfrey's voice? Yeah. And I was like, what if that's where they're, what if this Mayday camp is where they're broadcasting that radio station from? Mm -hmm. And what if we see Oprah Winfrey you know, <laughs> behind the microphone? And then. Serena showed up on the doorstep of this woman after going through these gates with the W on the gate. And I said to, <laughs> it's Oprah I said to Dana, it's Oprah Winfrey's house. <laughs> um, so uh, that was the, the last sort of silly bullet point in my mind. I have. Well, and that woman, that woman is the same woman from the beginning, right? The beginning of what? The episode. <laughs> oh, I didn't think so. Oh, I thought that that was the same woman. You think that the actress from the after party played the woman who went crazy seeing Nicole in the park? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, I I don't think so, but you may be right and I missed it. I Yeah, we can look. I thought it was – I thought the idea was that like – this woman was like out in the world and found June. And then she's also this like fake commander's wife. Yeah. I think what we're going to learn about this character doesn't make sense for. Cause when we see that character at the park, she looks nothing like a Gilead wife. Like she just, no, I, I thought she was incognito. Mm, maybe because, because we know this is, cause this is, I mean, again, with the costuming, one of my criticisms is that, like, Serena's totally willing to not wear her wife costume all the time. Like, I get it when she was in prison, I guess, because, like, 
they gave her clothes or whatever. Except, again, I think it's hilarious that she was in yoga clothes. But, like, um, like at one point, like, when, what's his, when Luke shows up, she's, like, wearing, like, a hilariously oversized, like, button-down shirt and blazer. Mm-hmm. Because she's pregnant with, like, a pencil skirt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why aren't you just wearing your wife shit if you're being a wife ambassador? Why are you wearing this? This is not in line with your deal. Are you looking it up? Yeah, I'm looking up Handmaid's Tale Season 5, Episode 4, Cast. And I'm going to IMDb. It's always easier to find the cast of a movie than it is... um, yeah, because of an epi- an individual episode of a television show. Um, for some reason, the Google results are giving me an IMDb page for a trailer of the episode, <laughs> not the episode. I itself. mean, maybe it's not her, but I really thought it was. Well, I need to see a cast list to. See I'm now going onto Hulu to see if I can just like actress. like Lady at Park. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Okay, so Genevieve Angelson plays Alanis Wheeler. Wheeler, that's her name. Which explains the W. Yes. And then I think this next person listed Olivia Sandoval. Sandoval plays a character named Lisa. I think that's the woman in the park. Okay. Um. Yeah, I really thought that we were like pulling things, pulling things together. You know what I There's mean? There's no one named woman in park or crazy lady. There's someone named angry man. <laughs> I'm like, it's playing. Of course, I have the version with the ads. So I'm trying to see if she actually looks the same or not. I really thought it was the same woman, Will. That's why I was like, she's, I know she plays a bigger part later. <laughs> I think the, I think part of what we are, what they're trying to, to do is to convince us there's a lot of people like this. Mm. And, there's, and there's a reason for it. And it's not totally crazy. Okay. Uh, like, that like it's sense. insane and bad, but they have their reasons. Yeah. Uh, so we can we can accept that that they exist, that they're out there. So uh, we the way that we're going to wrap this up is by acknowledging the Lydia subplot in this episode that we haven't talked about. Right. What happens? I completely forget what happens to her off the top of my head. Lydia and Janine have this confrontation where. Janine is now talking again and learning to walk again. And Janine is like yelling at Lydia. Right. Being like, this. She says, I still have one good eye. I have one good eye. You're going to take that too. And, you know, you did all of this. This is all your fault. You know, you're a monster. You're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And Lydia is obviously on her redemption arc, which I said last time is going to be a necessary part of the story because audiences have to accept her as the protagonist of the Testaments uh, sequel series. Right. There's also a scene where Lydia is talking to Bradley Whitford and Lydia proposes that all the handmaids stay at the Red Center, that they not be stationed in the homes of commanders, 
that the commanders visit the Red Center monthly for the ritual or the ceremony, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And Bradley Whitford says, you know why that's not going to work. It's because the commanders are, are horny and and the, the real. Oh, yeah. he. I actually have the quote because it's funny. No, I, he I, says, these are pious men. They need a little kink. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh and uh, and he says, you know that, don't you? And, uh, uh, no, he just says, you know that. And she says, do mm-hmm. I? And he says, don't you? <laughs> and uh, it's an interesting uh, scene. Um, the the it's it's interesting for the way that you know they use this Brad. The way that they use the Bradley Whitford character is to like say what a lot of people are thinking. You know, he's mm-hmm. the he's the guy who's got you know a a little bit too much of a loose tongue and so he's able to say he's able to make a lot of the subtext into text in this scene which is interesting to see it's interesting to see this overtly acknowledged um what we what we know is going on underneath the surface all along and uh lydia is not going to get what she wants but what she can do under the circumstances is talk to Janine again later and say, uh, I want to change. I want you to help me. You know, let's start to do things your way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to create the conditions so that uh, something like what Esther did never happens again. Yeah. So all of this brings me to not only the conclusion of the episode, but also the the bit of the inside the episode that I oh, yes. that I want to focus on. And unfortunately, the best way I know how to do this is to play it for you. Okay. And so what you're going to hear and what the listener is going to hear is the sound of my iPad <laughs> playing this video and being picked up by the microphone. Mm-hmm. It would be easier if you were watching it and you were seeing the subtitles, but mm-hmm. I can just say what it says afterwards and just tell me i know that i already know this doesn't make sense but just mm-hmm. validate for me okay that this doesn't make sense all right we're going to hear the voice of ann dowd and then we're going to hear the voice of bruce miller the showrunner okay just to say they need each other lydia is campaigning that she thinks she knows better shows Lydia how much power she has up. And that's the skill that Lydia is absolutely learning this year and doing it beautifully. I believe God will be better served. All right. I'm going to play that again, but I'm Mm going to say, basically, Bruce Miller says three sentences, and the middle one is the one that I'm focusing on. Okay. They're both intelligent people, which is to say they need each other. Lydia is campaigning that she thinks she knows better than the men. Shows Lydia how much power she has up. And that's the skill that Lydia is absolutely learning this year and doing it beautifully. Okay, so I'm just going to I'm going to mute this now. Yeah. And I'm just going to read you the words of Bruce Miller. Mm hmm. According to the captions. Yeah. Sentence one. Lydia is campaigning that she thinks she knows better than the men. Yes. Understood. 
Great. A, yes. A perfect sentence. Yes. Sentence two shows Lydia how much power she has up. What? Period. <laughs> and then he says, and that's the skill that Lydia is absolutely learning this year. And doing it beautifully. And then he's sort of cut off by a a clip of the show that you started to hear the first time I played it. What is that? What is... What? Is he saying that he shows her up? He says, and again, I'll give you sentence one again for context. Yes. Lydia is campaigning that she thinks she knows better than the men. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to this shot of Janine and uh-huh. the scene where they're in the ambulance. And he says the words and, I, and, and I've listened to it again and again. And I, I think that the caption is accurate. I don't uh-huh. hear him say anything other than the words. Shows Lydia how much power she has up. Shows Lydia what? No, no, that doesn't make any sense. There's no subject in that sentence. There's no subject. And what does it mean to have power up? <laughs> how much power do you have up? Well, twenty. Shows Lydia how much power she has up. <laughs> what? What? Why did they keep that in? It doesn't why make would, any sense. Why would they include that unless it was to <laughs> to make him look like an idiot? <laughs> What? Yeah, wow. Huh? That doesn't make any sense. Power, like, even if we gave it a subject. He, like, let's say we make it he. The he men. shows the men. The last the thing men. he talked about was the men, which so, is plural. So say the sentence with the men as the subject, the, the men, imagined subject. The men shows Lydia <laughs> how much power she has up. Has up. The only the only context up. in which it would make sense to hear or read this is a sort of grammar school test for <laughs> what is this a what's wrong with this? Well, it's a sentence fragment. Well, how would you fix it? Well, I give it a subject. <laughs> would you? Would that be it though? I also I, would, I, I also I guess I would, if I were in school, I would not end it with a preposition. I don't think that that's important. Yeah. In regular speech, but that's something else that's going on here. I'm I'm trying to think like shows up like um like shows up like um I can't even think of how to use it in a sentence like like when you're saying that you're doing something like um um to one up somebody or to like impress somebody. Mm-hmm. But that's not how you would phrase that. Yeah. Well, I feel very comfortable uh, in my <laughs> position uh, criticizing this uh, man for this moment <laughs> and the editors who left it in because I have never misspoken uh, publicly in my life. Uh, I always use perfect <laughs> sentences. That's um, why we basically don't have to edit this podcast. Yeah, shows how little editing uh, Will has done. Um up shows uh 
end of episode how much uh soon shows uh two weeks <laughs> from now when oh i have one more note about the about the episode mm-hmm. which is i i'm going to use the word gory to explain it but that's not exactly the right word but i'm going to use it because i think it fits which is that it has been well established that june can only get off if she's on top ah uh. It's been well established because this was a trope in when she's cheating with Luke initially in the first season in the flashbacks. Uh huh. It's well established because when she does sleep with Nick at one point, she flips him over and gets on top. Okay. And that's also the way that she assaults Luke. Yes. And so I think that it is quite be- because, and I feel like they must have added, this is, I feel like, such a specific detail that they gave us which is why i'm always looking for it because i feel like it is almost doubling down on the fact that there's no way that she could be receiving pleasure from being on her back when she was a handmaid Mm -hmm. um i feel like it's trying to be like even if you like she doesn't even like that in a normal circumstance um so i think that it was very poignant that you know luke she was not on top with luke in that sex scene uh I feel like, you know, she, he really was able to get her rocks off just by saying he'd be willing to murder someone. That was well, that was enough. Yeah, well, I, I understand. I think I understand what they intend the significance of that to be. And yeah, I think you've hit upon it. I think in their minds, they're like, well, as long as he's on top, then it's like the order is finally being restored. Right? Yeah. They, <laughs> yes. They, oh, yes, as it as it should be. Um so uh yeah shows how uh in in how much insight liz has up (laughs) and uh hopefully we'll be back in two weeks again yeah and i hopefully won't be like deathly ill that weekend yeah i'm rooting for (laughs) you it's the the record's not been so great this year (laughs) Mm. uh well uh yes good health uh to you And uh, until next time. Yep. See you next week. Love you. Bye. In two weeks, but yep. Love you too. Bye. (laughs) Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngestofone, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.